This is a sermon brought to you by Good News Bible Church, where we believe we should love God, love others, and make disciples. We are located in Chicago's Logan Square neighborhood and invite you to join our family live every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. as we praise and worship with songs and learn about God through the study of the Bible. You can visit our website at goodnewschi.org. That's goodnewschi.org. Let's turn now to hear what the Word of God has for us this week. It is good to be with you all. I'm going to go ahead and uh, pray. We're going to pray for the kids that are learning the Scriptures and pray for us as well as we uh, hear the preaching of the Word of God. Let's pray. Oh, dear Lord, we thank you that your Word, Lord, can pierce the heart of a young one and show them who you are, and Lord, it can do the same with us. So, Lord, as we study your Word, whether it's the kids at God's Kids and the teachers who have prepared to, uh, to a pastor and congregants here and, and church family here, we pray, Lord, that your word would speak to us, Lord, that it would uh, cut us if it needs to, Lord, that it would encourage us, Lord, that it would cause us to repent. Lord, your word has many capabilities, and so we thank you for that. We pray that we would honor that today with listening ears and open hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless us, that you would keep us during this time, that you would continue to grow us as a church family. And Lord, we know that we have um, weaknesses. We have a need of a Savior, uh, not only from sin, but in our day-to-day. So Lord, we just um, come together today listening to you, hearing from your word, singing songs to you, Lord, knowing that we need you, Lord. And so we pray that we would keep that heart as we hear today. Thank you for this time, and thank you for the gathering of our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to give a, a couple shout outs. I've been to the last two sessions of the evangelism class across the street at nine. It's been really good. Very, um, very much like you can go and use it today. You can go use it tomorrow. So that's been really cool, as well as talking about different strategies. So if you get the opportunity, make sure you uh, make it. I'll be leading the next one. And so we'd love to have uh, more people uh, show up to that class. I also want to thank the worship team. Um, well, first I want to thank them and just say thank you in general, but then I want to say I'm a little bit mad at them because the lyrics literally took like all my talking points. So I don't even, I don't know what I'm doing up here today. No, no but that's a good thing. When, we, uh, when we're on the same page, that means that we're, we're, we're looking at the scriptures together. So that's really good. That's good. All right. So in Good News Bible Church, in the Good News Bible Church family, there is a place that's sort of mythical, and some of you all in your family, you might have some places, but in Good News Bible Church, to some of the people that have gone, there's this place called Boundary Waters. It's on the boundary of Minnesota and Canada, and some people have gone on this Boundary Waters trip. Now, the crazy thing about the Boundary Waters is that it is one of those highly protected places, so you cannot bring in aerosol cans, various soaps, things like that. You literally and really are roughing it. There are no bathrooms when you go to Boundary Waters. There was a former member called Nathan, named uh, Nathan Strand who would take uh, city folk up there. And uh, one of the famous things about Boundary Waters is the throne. Uh, it wasn't a real throne. It's, the bathroom was literally like this empty hole sitting on something in the middle of, of the woods, right? So it was very, very different. It became like a tradition. You hear stories of people swimming, uh, you hear people uh, talk about the different animals they got to see. Um, one time, I think they took, like, only men, and I think the majority of them were Puerto Ricans. So it was, like, reports of Puerto Ricans in the wild. And 
This is what I heard from the Minnesota News. Um, one of the things over there, too, is there's really, you have to swim and get in the water because there's no bathing uh, facilities there. You really have to just kind of rough it. And it almost feels like uh, in, in our world today with all the technology, like a place that's mythical and not real, but it really is. In fact, um, Richard and McDolly, a former uh, attenders of Good News Bible Church, one time Richard and I, and if you guys don't know who Richard is, he has the same kind of hairstyle and look as I do, a um, little darker skin, a uh, bald Latino. And we go to the place where they kind of give you the tools so that you can, you know, your canoes and anything you need for when you go on the trip. So as we get out and we're all dressed like city folk and as we get out and we go into the store, the people at the store are looking at us like they don't want to, you know, they care. They don't want us to die. They were looking at us like, I'm pretty sure these people don't know what they're doing or, or, or know what they're getting into. But we asked them and we, had a, we told them that what we needed and then we showed them our, our receipts in a sense. We showed them all the stuff we had prepared, but they definitely were skeptical. And I want to let you know that in different uh, places and different families, you think about certain places and they kind of bring a smile to your face. It brings some laughter, a, a big time memory comes up right away. Uh, you keep thinking about going there and maybe staying there one day. And some people, you know, when they think about that, they already want to kind of look at their phones and start planning stuff, right? But I want to let you know that for the Christian, there is an eternal place that we will be at one day. You all know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about heaven. And I'm going to tell you that the Bible talks a lot about heaven, but we, we don't always talk about heaven. We don't always talk about heaven. And I want to ask you all, how often do you think and speak about heaven? Hmm. Well, let me tell you, the Bible certainly does. The Bible certainly does. One of the things that the Bible does is it talks about the third heaven. I don't know if you all heard of Paul in one of, one of the epistles goes. He says he saw he was in or brought up to the third heaven. So if there's a third heaven, the assumption is that there's a first heaven and a second heaven. So the first heaven that's spoken about in the Bible isn't really the heaven that we think of all the time, but the first heaven is the skies. That's where you see uh, clouds, birds, planes, lost helium balloons from parties, you know, those type of things, right? The second heaven is where you enter space, uh, the moon, the sun, the stars, the planets, um, some satellites are hanging out up there, right? So that's the, that's space. And then the third heaven is considered the dwelling place of God. Heaven is where God is. And the Bible mentions heaven over 600 times, and in over 75% of the books of the Bible speak about heaven. So we should be hearing a lot more sermons about heaven, right? It talks about being a city filled with brilliant and costly stones, uh, we hear about 12 gates, 12 foundations. These are some generalities and specifics that are about heaven. The paradise of the Garden of Eden, that's going to be restored in heaven. There's going to be a river of water of life that flows freely. The tree of life is available once again. And even though we have different stories and word pictures and inspired scripture about heaven, it seems that each one of the people, even under the guiding of the Holy Spirit, have hard times in their English language or whatever language they wrote it in, in any language, to really speak about it eloquently. It seems to be something 
beyond the ability of finite people to describe. So I was thinking this. I said, if God were to truly give a person a vision of heaven or hell, one thing we can know for sure is that it must be in agreement 100% with what the Bible already says about heaven. You guys get what I'm trying to say? Uh, Very popular for people to say they visited hell or visited heaven and write a book. And then when you read the book or you hear the book and you see that it doesn't match up with the scriptures, then that person probably went somewhere else or got dizzy or something like that. But whatever a visit from heaven is, it should match up. Now, if it's some different element, you know, that we can talk about that. But it should match up and not go against exactly what the scriptures uh, should be saying. So if you think about it, when you think about Paul, you think about Daniel, you think about John, these are different people that lived at different times, but when they speak about heaven, it matches up. So even in the Bible, there's a coherence of what heaven is and what heaven is like. Their statements are not contradictory. So if that's even within the Bible, then if you have anything that's extra biblical or someone's personal experience, it should match up with the scriptures. If not, we hold to the scriptures before that. And 2 Corinthians 5.1 tells us, we know that if the earthly tent body we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. The Bible tells us clearly that heaven is for believers, a spiritual house that he has set apart for himself. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. By the way, C.S. Lewis, the, the Narnia person, he, he wrote a, a bunch of other books too. Uh, mere Christian, but he is very famous for a lot of verses, a lot of, not verses, uh, writings about heaven. He put, he put it this way. He said, if I find myself in desire, which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And sometimes you might feel that in worship. You're like, man, I feel like I'm somewhere else. And that's what he kind of meant when he thought about heaven, what that must be like. So today we're going to read a prophecy from Daniel and see how it speaks about an everlasting throne that we know Jesus in his birth fulfills. That's the beginning point of it. Heaven is real, and a very real and perfect Jesus will sit on the throne in heaven. Join me in Daniel 7, verses 13 to 14, and we're going to marinate in here for a little bit. So buckle your seatbelts. We read from the English Standard Version Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14. It reads, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass, and his kingdom one Thou shalt not be destroyed. Does everyone here know who Daniel is? Let me tell you a little bit about Daniel. Daniel is a pretty amazing character, by the way, a real person in the scripture. So Daniel and his three countrymen, you all know their names, right? Because of the veggie tales made it, <laughs> made it kind of super famous for everyone. So they were chosen from Judea, and then they were given new names under uh, the rule. Uh, Daniel's first sign of faithfulness to God was when he and his three friends, they rejected the, food, the rich food because it defiled their religious beliefs from the king's table, and they deemed it 
a defilement. And so what they did is they ate vegetables. So these are the Christians that you know that eat at Whole Foods and vegetarians and things like that and don't have a, a piece of meat next to the meal, okay? So that's what Daniel was kind of like. Y'all were supposed to laugh at that, but I guess y'all serious about Whole Foods. Can't attack Whole Foods in this church, okay? So Nebuchadnezzar's son, that was the person in rule, uh, Belshazzar, when he became the new king, and during the banquet, he ordered the gold and silver goblets that they kind of took from the people of God, and he used them to have this meal. And when he had this meal, this is when we saw a hand writing on the wall. And I don't know if you all have, uh, when you teach uh, God's kids or, or, or any small group Bible studies with little kids, they always have that visual, and it's, it looks pretty creepy. They just, it's just this hand kind of writing on the wall, and it always, I don't know, it sounds like a scary movie. But the astrologers of Nebuchadnezzar's son, Balthazar, they couldn't figure it out. But Daniel is the one that figures it out, and he tells them what it's going to be. And he gets a reward for this, and he's promoted by King Belshazzar to the third highest position in the whole Babylonian kingdom. So it's just an amazing story. He's kind of like taking over. Daniel's kind of like in charge. And the really neat thing about what Daniel said in when, he, when he interpreted what the, handing on, the, the writing on the wall meant is that it was precise, and it came exactly the way he said it. The reason why I say that is because a lot of times when we hear prophecies, they're very vague and you don't really understand how they're fulfilled. It's just so vague that it could have happened, it couldn't have happened. But we see here Daniel says something is going to happen and then it actually does happen shortly after. So Daniel excelled. Others were jealous of him. They, were they attacked his religion. They attacked his religious practices. We all know about Daniel and the lion's den. And Daniel was also very prophetic. In the beginning, we all understand Daniel, but most of people, when we study Daniel, we stop at a certain chapter because it becomes very prophetic and a little bit more to understand. So let's look at this prophecy that he makes now. So in Daniel 7, what he's doing is he is seeing a vision. And in this vision, he is seeing four world empires. These things are characterized as four beasts. By the way, the fourth one is considered what, what is called the Roman Empire, which that's what, kinda, what's what Jesus kind of comes into. And then the Roman Empire is also seen as a type of an empire that had a huge percentage of the world's population under its rule. So if you even think about, um, you know, future, what could happen, we're thinking of an empire that in a sense has a rule over most of the people in the world. So Daniel starts to speak about this. And Daniel assures them that the world's empire have a certain amount of authority, and they have it for a certain amount of time. But he lets them know that these empires or these beasts will eventually pass away. They will go away. It even writes in Daniel 7:18. it says, The holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. So he says, after these kingdoms or these kingdoms of the world are gone, the people of God will possess it all, in a sense. So he's speaking about the forever kingdom. Some of you all rubbing your head and stuff. I know when we get the prophecy, it gets a little wild, but stick with me. We'll, get, we'll, we'll, let, we'll land the plane. So Daniel, when he sees the four beasts, which represent four empires, he's very troubled by it. And he wonders what it means until an angel explains it to him. And that's what's cool, 
is an angel actually explains it to him from verses 15 to 27. But even then, and in his interpretation, it causes Daniel distress. Daniel even writes, I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Towards the end of this prophecy, we see that all of the beasts are defeated, and now the prophecy resumes. This is what we're going to be studying today. So these four empires have been defeated. So if the four empires are defeated, if mankind's rule is defeated, then we know that this is about to be the time of the true king. So verse 13, Daniel begins to prophesy, and the person he's prophesying about is Jesus. The, so you think about it in here. Let me read verse 13 again. Verse 13 says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. So if you think about it, you have two people here, two, two people here. You have the ancient of days, and you have the one that came before him, or the one that came to him, the son of man. Ancient of days or son of man. So this ancient of days is going to give the son of man something or have the authority to. So the ancient of days is representative of God the Father. And the son of man is Jesus. That's how we know Daniel is speaking and prophesying about Jesus. Jesus is the son of man, and God the Father is the ancient of days. And what does Daniel see? First it says he sees a cloud come like the son of man, like a person. It comes like a son of man. Right now, he's not given a title. He's like, it looks like a son of man. So you're going to see this person come, and they look like a son of man. And if, and if your, your bells are ringing, you're saying, oh, that sounds like Jesus. That's exactly what should be happening. And this title of son of man was a, is a designation that Jesus often used for himself. In fact, in the Bible, he calls himself son of man over 80 times. So he calls himself the son of man. And he does a lot of that in the Gospels. And it says that, this son of man will receive all dominion previously held by the beast. So if you think about these governments and how they rule, this son of man would have all the rule. But the difference here is these four government types or these four kingdoms, these empires, they all ended. But this rule from the son of man will be forever, an everlasting throne. It will not end. That's the big one. Jesus was able to stand before the Father blameless and given the keys to the kingdom. Jesus is worthy to have the everlasting throne. The Son of Man's dominion is an everlasting one. It will not pass away. The reign of Jesus doesn't last a thousand years. I know a lot of people, when they read in Revelation, they hear about the thousand-year reign. That's the thousand-year reign on earth, on the new earth. But even after that, he will always reign. It's a forever kingdom. It's permanent. Verse 14, and I'm just going to go piece by piece through verse 14 to describe this. And it says, and to him was given, talking about the Son of Man, talking about Jesus. And if you have that connections that are going off, please hold on to those because that's what it should be. And to him was given dominion, which means sovereignty, a realm, and glory. We know glory is honor, esteem, and a kingdom. A kingdom is a territory, a, a time, an era, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting, that's a time there, and that time is everlasting, 
dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. It will last. It will not lose. It will be a forever kingdom. That's why I started a sermon with like, we're talking about heaven. We're talking about winning forever, all of these different things. And sometimes when you're going through this life and things seem pretty difficult and it's hard to see the next day. And, um, you know, some of us, some of us been around a little bit longer and there's just so much stuff that has gone on. It's hard to think about a place where that rest is like that. And it's so much one-sided towards what's good and what's perfect. And our eyes here that have been tainted by this world that isn't good or perfect, it's really hard to see that. But this dominion will not lose. It will not end. Daniel prophesied that Jesus would rule in a forever kingdom. Jesus is the Son of Man spoken here. But one thing I just wanted to clear up, if Jesus is the Son of Man, isn't he also called the Son of God? So how can he be the Son of Man and also be the Son of God? You know, we got to figure this stuff out because we know in this world today there's a lot of baby daddy issues. So we got to get this figured out. So how is he the Son of Man but also the Son of God? And what we call that is something called the hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. What this means is that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And one of the many aspects and relationships uh, that are shown and expressed in the scriptures are often familial, right? So the Father God, in a sense, acts and is the Father of Jesus. And then we also know that Jesus was born of a woman, born of a person, born of a human. But the Bible also tells us that he was born out of the Holy Spirit as well, that Mary did not do everything by herself, right? That's in Matthew 1.20. So Jesus was the son of, the son of man in the sense that he was born in the line of David, but then Jesus is also the son of David in that way as well, but then Jesus is also the son of God because he is God in the Trinity. Isn't that amazing? So what we call that is that hypostatic union. So Jesus is 100% God and 100% man or person. And those, those two things together do not mix in any way but are connected. And we call that the hypostatic union. So he is the son of God and he is indeed the son of man. And what does the Son of Man speak to? The Son of Man speaks to Jesus having humanity. Jesus having the humility in the sense of being the Son of God and taking on human flesh. Notice he didn't take off something. He put on something. That's one of the key elements of the hypostatic union. He didn't take away his God, being God. He added on human flesh. So he takes this on. The Son of Man is also, though, a heavenly title. It's a title of deity. Some people think, well, Son of Man, it must talk about just people. But really what it is, is it's explained so well in Colossians 2.9. This was Colossians 2.9 says, and it's talking about Jesus. It says, for in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So what that verse is saying is that even as a person, the whole essence of deity was there. He indwelt that. Hypostatic union. 
Jesus is the supreme example of all that God intended people to be or mankind to be, the embodiment of truth and grace. You could say he was the son of man. You could say he is the son of God. And it's so important to realize that as the son of man, things that he does as the son of man connect to what he does as the son of God. So, for example, Jesus can forgive sin. Why? Because of some of the actions that he did as the son of man. What else can Jesus do? Jesus can be Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus can save. He can rise or raise people from the dead. He can rise from the dead, and he can execute judgment. You see, this everlasting throne has so much to do with Jesus being the son of man and his work here in the flesh, and Jesus being the son of God. Join me in Luke 1, verses 30 through 34, where we're going to continue to see this fulfillment of what Daniel spoke about. So now we see this thousands, thousands of years later. Well, actually, I don't know how much time later, but we see this later on in Luke. All right, Luke 1, 30 through 34. It reads, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive, conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So what does the angel Gabriel tell Mary? First thing, he tells her, don't, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. You often, you often see this when, when, when they see an angel, there, there's some fright. There's something amazing about an angel that causes that natural fear. And right away says, don't, don't be afraid. You found favor in God. So if Mary finds favor in God, does that mean Mary is God? No, Mary found favor in God. If, if Mary was already God, there wouldn't be a need to find favor. So that's just one thing you can you always have to kind of think about when you think about uh, whenever we're talking about Mary. And then here's something else in our culture now that we need to clear up sometimes, uh, not trying to take shots, but it says, Mary, you are going to have a baby. This is humanity. You know, a woman has a baby, and it's going to be a boy. This is, you know, this angel tells him that. Uh, never thought you would have to teach that in church, but it said this woman will have a baby. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. Next one. The baby will be a boy to be named Jesus. Um, the baby's born, and notice that the scripture says, as the baby's born, you can call that baby a boy or a girl. And so that's what happens with Jesus. Then it says, he will be called the son of the highest. Jesus would be the son of Mary, but not only her son, he would also be known as the son of God, a.k.a. the most high God. So you think about this, we see even here in what Gabriel says to Mary, the idea of the hypostatic again. Jesus takes on human nature. We don't understand how that works or how it's done, but we believe it to be true. And he was born as a baby. And some people think about what would, you know, eight-month Jesus look like? Did he not cry? Did he always, you know... Make sure the diaper was on right before they used, he used the bathroom. Like, there's all these questions about 
all of those things, but we do know that he, take, he took on, he took on flesh. And then the throne of his father, David, he will be the Messiah prophesied to David. So you think about, he comes from the line of David, he will rule in the idea, the, the focus of David. You know, David was seen as the greatest king of that time and had the right to rule over Israel and definitely was the most godly out of the ones we've seen. And Jesus comes in that line and will be the forever king. So how does what Luke just wrote about connect to Daniel? Let's look at some of those connections. Well, it tells us that Jesus came from heaven and came like a son of man. Remember Daniel says he saw something coming like the Son of Man? Well, we know that Jesus actually comes and is the Son of Man. He looked like a person. He looked like a person. He acted like a person because he indeed was a person. He was a human. What else? It says that Jesus can stand before the Ancient of Days. How is Jesus able to stand before the Ancient of Days? Remember, he, he's, he's as a man now. Was well, because Jesus did not sin. He did not commit any sin, no fault. Also, besides just not committing sin, he also fulfilled the law. So because he did not sin and because he fulfilled the law, he was able, as the Son of Man, to still stand before God blameless, not in need of a Savior, but able to be the Savior, able to be the Passover lamb, if we want to connect it to last week. And if you think about this, this is something that should, in a sense, warm our hearts. And, and, and the reason why it warms my heart is because Jesus comes and lives a life. And I, I don't know about you all. I mean, I have some kids. I have some responsibilities. All you all have responsibilities. But it's often hard to live for someone else. It's ha often hard to live sacrificially. And so Jesus didn't just live sacrificially in the sense that he, he, did, he, he just kind of was a recluse and then all of a sudden died on the cross. We, we see that he's with people all the time. He has people that he's discipling. He has different needs and he travels and a lot of the area that he traveled had rough terrain. And so even in all of this, he keeps his holiness. And then that holiness, which we know as humans, to be holy, I mean, if you try to be holy for one whole day, to, as hard as you could, you would end up being pretty upset because you would realize that we are fallen. We are fallen and we need a Savior. But Jesus lives this life, comes during a time when there wasn't any internet and running bathrooms, and he does all of this stuff, and all of that allows him to be the perfect Savior. Isn't that amazing? It just warms my heart. It makes me feel very loved because I know how hard it is to live in this world. And if you think about it, the, the rule of the, of the, Roman, the Romans at that time was, was pretty rough. It, was, it, was a, it wasn't just like, I know we think about Rome, and a lot of times you think about the Republic and stuff, and, but it was a very, throughout, throughout history, it was a very rough rule for the people that they conquered. And the last connection is because of Jesus' salvific or his saving work on the cross, Jesus has now dominion and will forever have dominion. 
So his work on the cross is the ultimate sign, symbol, real act that shows that he has dominion. He can rule forever. Look at Ephesians 1 with me. Watch this, 19 through 22. You can just listen to it. It says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things in the church, which is the body, his, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I don't know how to say it other than the way I used to say it when I was a kid. Man, that's all that and a bag of chips. That's all that and a bag of chips. He, he gets the extra credit. He gets all the glory, all the praise because of what he has done. His work, his coming, his taking on flesh, perfectly lived out, lived out life, death on the cross, rising again. He deserves all the credit. He feels all in all. And this leads us to the everlasting throne. And I wanted to just read from Revelations 21, 1 through 7. And I know a lot of us, a lot of people don't mess with Revelation. But let me tell you, reading and repetition will definitely help you with Revelation. But if you don't get to Revelation 21, you're missing out on an amazing chapter of the Scriptures, an amazing section. I'm just going to read the first seven verses. And this is talking about heaven. It's talking about a new earth. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. That's kind of hard to think about with the sea so vast, right? And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. I think this is stuff we kind of think about and, and, and maybe not in, in kind of like in loose terms, but you can use this and really kind of picture and just kind of imagine that God himself comes down new city, new earth, right? He will dwell with them, okay. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his her this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That's the idea of the forever, the forever reign. New heaven, new earth. And I think uh, nowadays... Even, in, even as believers, it's kind of something that we can be shy about when talking about heaven. You know, it's like, you, you know, the, the big phrase that I remember hearing growing up was, you can be so heavenly minded that you're not, you know, any earthly good. 
But it seems that people that are heavenly minded also, they, they have an impulse, a, 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 something that propels them to be good here on earth. Like we're talking about heaven. We can, we can evangelize because there's heaven. We can evangelize because God's going to take something that we see and he's going to totally redeem it and change it. So it can be something that, yeah, I could talk about the pie in the sky because you know what? There's really going to be a heaven and earth. So, yes, I can talk about that. It's not just some imaginary thing. It's a real thing. Because C.S. Lewis put it like this. C.S. Lewis said, there's either a pie in the sky or there's not. And if there is, we should talk about it. We should talk about heaven. And not just talk about salvation of sins, which is key. That would take away what wrong has been done. But then how about the adding? of being in the presence of God? How about the adding of being someone who lives in that new city, that new earth, that new place with a forever king who's always going to be on the throne? By the way, if, you don't, if we don't speak about heaven, we're speaking about something that is clearly defined in Christianity and clearly defined in the Bible. The Bible speaks about heaven. So I just encourage all of us to speak about heaven, to think about heaven, to pray and ask God to give you the ability to just focus on heaven. It's an amazing, amazing truth. And if heaven doesn't exist, then our Bible that we study is wrong. The Bible claims it exists and will be a real place. And right now there's a place where God dwells when it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Don't be shy about heaven. And let me tell you why. Uh, I found this amazing story. It's a story about a swan and a crane. Um, so a swan and a crane. So a beautiful swan was, was swimming, was gliding by the banks of the water, and it saw a crane wading in smaller water. You know, cranes are the ones with those long legs, long beak, right? And it was pick, this crane was picking up snails. It was picking up snails out of the water from the bottom. The crane viewed the swan and then asked, where do you come from? And you know, swans are super beautiful and pretty. And the swan says, I, I, I come from heaven, replied the swan. And the crane goes, and, and where is heaven? Heaven, said the swan. Heaven? You never, you never heard of heaven? And the beautiful bird went on to describe the eternal city, the streets of gold, the pearls, the, the stones, the gates, the river of life, how pure it was. In elegant, elegant terms, elegant terms told this crane all about heaven, how amazing it is. After it was done, the crane says, that sounds amazing, but are there any snails there? <laughs> and the swan says, snails? Of course not. There's no need for anything. There's no snails there. Then the crane says, well, you can have heaven. I want snails. And that's what we're living with. We're living with people who have believed and have been tricked so much in thinking that they have this so-called heaven on earth, which really is I'm in charge of what I want to do whenever I want to do it. And they believe and they have these snails of the world, and they need to be shown that there's pride there, that there's sin there, that there's a need for them to see a Savior who promises so much more 
than the snails of this world. I don't know about you all. I think about like these great moments in my life. And then if I really, really thought hard, I could think about usually after some of these great moments, for some reason, I got into some big argument the next day. You come off a big high and you just, something just happens and you sometimes sink. Or sometimes you're like really, really down and someone does something to brighten up your day. But then if you think about the truth of what's been affected, you can get down again. Oh, I, I dream of a place where I will forever be up. And then I don't have to wait for the downfall after this thing happens. Uh, I want to be in a place where for years and years as I've done funerals and seen people die and knew that some of these people were going to heaven and felt better for them. And I, I want to be there to that spot where I will be better as well. New body, new earth. This fable has a huge truth that a lot of us take for granted for the amazing blessings we have here on earth, and we trade those, and almost sometimes in our evangelism give people the opportunity to have all of those things and just kind of add on God, where when you add on God or when God adds you on, you receive a real home, a real place, not, not just now, because he does come in and abide with us, but in the future, and that future forever. Amen. Revelations 22, 20 through 21, I will end with this. It reads, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. That's the ending of the scriptures. Let me read that again. It says, he who testifies to these things. John is saying the things that I've talked about in regards to heaven and the end says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Think about heaven. Think about heaven, everyone. Uh, a lot of people start thinking about heaven when whatever society deems, uh, now you're old now, you start thinking about heaven. But I want to let you all know that there is a better place and that the believer will be there. And it isn't necessarily a better place because of its location or what neighborhood it's in, but it is a better place because God is the forever king there sitting on his everlasting throne. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for heaven. We thank you for the opportunity to even consider it our dwelling place. Lord, we thank you for the work that you have done on the behalf of the believer to be saved, to be placed in a place, Lord, that we can't even fathom. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. Lord, we pray that you would give us a glimpse of what it means to live a lifestyle that considers heaven to be absolutely real and true. And, Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would be like you, who spoke about heaven often, who spoke about the opportunities that you were going to provide through your death on the cross and through your perfect life for a people to be saved, Lord, a people to be saved forever in heaven. Lord, we praise you for the things that we will see. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Good News Bible Church, where we equip people to love God, love others, and make disciples. To help support our mission, please visit our online giving portal through our website at www.goodnewsshine.org.